thank you that through the history of your people, you've sent men and women to travel and to journey and to encourage and to bring life and just to build up your body. And Lord, we thank you for Roger. We thank you for his friendship. Lord, for his heart for your church and for his heart for us. But Lord, today we are hungry to hear your word. We are, hung we are thirsty for living water. We are hungry for the fresh bread of life. We are hungry for a fresh word from your spirit. So Lord, I just pray that you would anoint Roger. Lord, that the words that come out of his mouth and the meditation of his heart would be acceptable in your sight and that they would be life and blessing and hope and abundance to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you very much. Well, it's great to, great to be with you uh, this morning. Fantastic. Uh, I love being with you as a church. I mean, that soup week, what a great idea. <laughs> Fantastic. I went over thinking, what if we could do a soup week at home? And I think there's something uh, about your DNA as a community that is create, creative and distinctive. Uh, and there's something that's prophetic about you as a community that in some areas, uh, you know, you're probably never going to be as large as some churches, you know, that are hundreds of people, you know, with all sorts of, you know, that they could do, they could do what they could do. Um, that's not to say that the calling of God upon you as a church is not to grow, because I think it certainly is. I think there is a calling upon you to grow and multiply, but there is something that you can uniquely contribute as a community uh, because of the creativity and the distinctiveness of the DNA that God has put within you. So I want to encourage you in that, and that's one of the reasons. Uh, apart with the fact that I, uh, I love you guys as a community, we've got some good friendships. One of the reasons why I love coming. So Chloe, my daughter, I know would want to say, in fact, she told me off for not telling her that this was in my diary. <laughs> uh, I have a very uh, flexible relationship with my diary, which I tend not to remember things, and I tend to double book things. So when she found out that, that I realized that I was coming here, uh, and that I hadn't told her, uh, she was a little bit fed up with me. But So she wants to send her love to you all. And so I'm going to get on to... Uh, Charles asked me a while ago to speak on uh, Jeremiah 29. I'm not going to uh, exegete it and give you all the historical background. I'm going to draw something that I, out of it uh, that I think uh, is probably a word from the Lord for you and hopefully that will orientate you remember last time we talked about the spirit breaking in and stewarding the spirit and I understand that's something as a church that you're you're talking about and now we're going to talk about a little bit about your know, building out of that how we build out and, and God wanting us to build out uh, out from all that his spirit does in us as the spirit breaks out you may have noticed I'm carrying something unusual. I thought I might as well explain myself. <laughs> uh, the Lord's got me carrying this. It does cause a, uh, it does tend to cause a little bit of disturbance in certain places and, and all sorts of different reactions, which is rather part of the fun uh, of it. But I think there is something about uh, taking up the identity of the calling uh, that God has given us that, that for me personally in this, that I think also is part of this message to you this morning. Uh, I first uh, uh, received, the, well, the top part of this staff over 30 years ago. It was a season in my life of ministry. I was leading a church called Revelation Church, 
and there were phenomenal prophetic things and new things coming out of that church. 24-7 prayer was emerging. A student ministry called Fusion was emerging. Uh, there, were other, there was a charity called Life Center emerging. There were people getting sent to Africa. It was a phenomenal time of uh, sending. And there's a, a, an older gentleman who'd very recently come to faith who had no idea of the charismatic, the prophetic, or anything. I don't think he had much of, much of an idea. He loved, he's a lovely guy. And he was, he, he was coming back from, from Africa. And he said, you know, I, I was going, I, I think it was, a, I don't know if it was a shop or an antique shop, but he said, I was going past a shop and I, I saw this bishop's crook and I thought, I need to buy this and bring it home and give it to Roger. And at that stage, I was a, I was a peroxide ponytailed church leader. And this guy turned up with this bishop's crook. And, and the crook belonged to uh, a bishop, uh, I had previously belonged to a bishop called Trevor Huddleston, who was a guy that was involved in campaigning for the whole apartheid thing, and uh, who spoke at Nelson Mandela's funeral. So he gave me this crook, uh, and so I carried it, which was phenomenal. So I carried it around for a while, all through this season. And then I was at this leaders' meeting, and my mentor in the Lord is that. Um, without any permission at all, took it from me and gave it to somebody else. One of my friends, a guy called Jeff Lucas that you will know, gave it to him to carry, uh, which I wasn't very pleased about at the time. Uh, I was really gutted. Someone joked, you know, and Gerald and I never spoke about it. We never, he never talked to me about it. I never talked to him. I have nothing but wonderful memories and thanks uh, to, to Gerald, who was a mentor for many, many years. So anyway, he gave this to Jeff. So Jeff, because he was traveling transatlantically, had it sort of um, put into two halves. And then after a few years, he lost the bo British Airways lost the, the bottom half. And, and so for the last, over the last decade, quite a long time, just the top half has been out the back of his cupboard, completely and utterly forgotten. And now then early in the summer, um, I took our leadership team to Waverley House, uh, Waverley Abbey House for a retreat day. Something you might want to consider doing as a church. See if you could twist your Weber's arm to do a, a phenomenal. So anyway, so we went there for the day, but my attitude was, well, it'd be really nice for the rest of the team you know, I know, what, I know what I'm doing, what the Lord said to me. So while the rest of the team are having their, you know, thing where the Lord's sort of like shaping their direction, I'll have a little snooze in the garden with my Bible, you know. So it's a little bit of, I wasn't really expecting anything from the Lord. And as I was walking up the stairs towards Jill's room, I got halfway up. I thought, oh, Holy Spirit's here. I got this really strong sense of the presence of God. And I sat down and Jill hadn't even started to lay out the whole process that we were going to go through to hear God. And I just felt the Lord say to me, get rid of all the things that are unnecessary and all the responsibilities that are false responsibilities and focus on your call and focus on your ministry. And I, I thought, oh. <laughs> so then I was in this whole time of thinking, well, what does that mean? And I think it meant for me focusing on mentoring leaders and shepherding the flock and looking at the wider communities and seeing the apostolic and seeing churches, you know, because I got involved in a lot of other things. I call it putting the bins out, you know, for, for, for a lot of people. So anyway, and then, then Gerald sadly uh, died, but the guy that was mentoring me, he, he died, went to be with the Lord. And I was asking the question, 
you know, I wonder if there's anything, you know, because Gerald had been like a father figure to me and a mentor for many years, and even though I hadn't spent much time with him, you know, in, in, the, in the last years of his life. And I just wondered, I've learned in the past that sometimes when people go to be with the Lord, that, that, that sometimes a bit of their anointing comes your way. And I'm thinking, I wonder if there's anything that's come back to me from Gerald. And um, so I went to his, uh, we went to his funeral, a smaller gathering, and then we went to the big Thanksgiving in London. And Jeff was the speaker. And, and, and Jeff said, when I got there, Jeff said to me, the Lord woke, woke me up at 3 a.m. this morning and told me, go find the top of the staff and give it back to Roger. And, and so he did it in, Je in his, his eulogy to Gerald. He said, well, Gerald is probably the only person that will take something that's not his from somebody else. And yeah, we all laugh. And give it to someone else prophetically. We all laugh because we all knew what Gerald is like. And uh, I remember at the time, uh, you know, saying to Margaret, you don't really get it. And she said, well, look, if the Lord hadn't taken it away from you, he couldn't then give it back. So I thought, well, you know, there's a certain wisdom to that. There's a certain timing, isn't there? And so Jeff give, gave it back to me at this place, just a little, just the top bit of it, because the whole bottom was lost. And um, what I said to Jeff, well, you can't just give it back to me. You have to pray over and give it to me. And then as that was going on, and Margaret said, well, look, this is a deal. The Lord wants to give the word that, that he gave to Roger that set him on this journey to you. The whole get rid of responsibility and focus on. And, and when Margaret gave that to Jeff, Jeff went, I won't say the situation, I can't say, but Jeff went absolutely as white as a sheet and said, that is incredible. And then after that time, Margaret and I have reconnected with Jeff and Kay. We, we've had lunch together twice, you know, starting at 12 o'clock, and then we're throwing each other out of our homes at 6, 7 in the evening. So God was at work in that whole process. But then I had to get it rebuilt. So I, I took it to this craftsman, uh, a, guy, a really old guy who's been working with wood for years and years and years out in the countryside. And I went with this top half, and before I'd given it to him, he said, that's African wood. I can't match that, but what I can do is put some English oak. So I've got three pieces so it can go in hand luggage. It will never get lost again. So I can, I can unscrew it and put it in hand luggage. And, uh, and, uh, and so we rebuilt it. And, um, you know, I was really excited. I got it home and I put it in my office and it's sitting there in my office. And uh, I'm looking at it. But you know what? I was quite anxious about picking it up. Even though it was something that was just, that defined, in a sense, many ways who I am and my calling. And in a sense, it can mean to you whatever it means to you. <laughs> but it means something to me. And, and I looked at it and I thought, although it sums up everything I feel that God has called me to and everything that I've been about for the last 40 years, I felt a measure of, fear is the wrong word, I felt a measure of reluctance to pick it up because whether it's the cost or whether it's the, you know, because it's that symbol of God being with you. And, and I think, you know, you, you, all of you here have got callings and have got giftings. And you as a church have got a calling and a gifting. And, and, but I think we all at times are reluctant to put our best foot forward and to really invest, to really identify. And I think that that does link with this passage that I'm just going to go into for 15 minutes or so. So, uh, Rob, can you just hold this for me while I'm speaking? 
Yeah, I've noticed in, in the 24-7 team, there's a couple of the younger guys that don't want to carry it. But when I've got it, they say, can I just like hold it just for a little while while I'm praying? <laughs> and I had a lady at a conference that I was at that I did a, resp a response on calling. And she said, I want to come out, but I don't want to touch that at the moment. But I want to repent and I want to say to God that I want to lay. And then, I, then, then could, you, could I get out, hold it just for a while? <laughs> it's just symbols, isn't it? Sometimes God speaks through symbols and so Charles obviously had the new year in mind when she talked about Jeremiah 29 and this is the, the the letter to the exiles from the prophet Jeremiah and I'm not going to spend a long time unpacking the passage you know and we do sometimes uh, muller the Old Testament I would encourage you you know get yourself a good commentary have a good look at it and find out what's really going on there but there is a broad framework in which Israel are taken into exile, which is a, where they are aliens. And a lot of the craftsmen, a lot of the quality people, they'd all been moved into this place of exile. And some of the prophets were saying, you know, don't worry, this isn't going to be very long. You don't have to put roots down. You don't have to whatever, because everything's going to be this and that and the other. It's going to be really quick. But then Jeremiah comes in and says, these are all false prophets. You're going to be there 70 years. Uh, that whole idea of um, 70, the perfect number, 70, and, you know, 70 and the 10, the, the completeness of God's law. You're going to be there for a complete season that's longer. And this season is going to demand a different approach from you than if you were just there for a short season. And in fact, God is speaking something clearly. And you know what, and, and so I've called this from tents to houses. And you know what it's like when you have a temporary mentality to things. You know, um, I do a lot of fishing. And there are, uh, there are some guys that like to fish really light. They like to have a little tent, you know, little umbrella. You know, there they are in the middle of winter in the frost, you know, and they've got their tiny little tent under there with their sleeping bag because they like to move around. They like to keep mobile. There's others. I'm a bit more in my advanced age. I like something a bit more fixed, a little bit more double-skinned, a little bit more that I can get my barbecue in. And, you know, so I'm not going to be moving anytime soon. And, and it's like when you, you know, if you have a rent, you're, you're in student accommodation. It's really different than, than if you own a house. Or if you're in a rental accommodation or it's short term, you have a different mentality to that property than if it's yours or if you're in there for a long term scenario because it's, you're putting roots down. And so in Jeremiah 29, the prophet speaks very clearly. And I'm just going to go for verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. And then you have the, in verse 6, which someone else has got to look about the whole idea of marrying, have sons and daughters. You know, whatever you do, don't get smaller, only get bigger. You know, and, and that, that's, I think, someone else has got to look at that. But I'd say that to you. Whatever you do, don't get smaller, only get bigger. Uh, and, and, then, and then you've got the, the impact on the wider community. And, um, and then in verse 10, when the 70 years is up, you know, you'll be, you'll be brought back. And in this thing in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you.
So God speaks to us in this situation, and, and I think he says, look, don't be reluctant to take on the calling that I'm putting before you, and because I want to prosper you. I have your future in mind. I have hope and a future in mind for you as a community. And as you seek me and as you pray, you will find me. And I think you're in this place where you're seeking God, you're praying, you're nurturing the Spirit. And that is the place upon which building comes and building develops. And this whole idea of exile... Uh, it was regular in the Old Testament as the people of God, uh, you, you know, obeyed God. They got back in the land. Things went wrong. They ended in exile. But then a lot of theologians look at the New Testament, see the, the, the place that we're in where God's kingdom is already but not yet. It's kind of like we are in an exile. Um, you know, there's this, they, they talk about, you know, we are strangers in this land, you know, quite the way through the, the, the New Testament. You're, we're living as strangers. Acts 7, verse 6, Hebrews 11, verse 13, 13 Hebrews 13, to 1 Peter 2, 11, particularly. This whole thing, living, we live our lives as strangers. We're citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven and not on earth. Although we are here and we're called here, there's a sense in which we don't belong. And sometimes that, that's what we experience, isn't it? When we live in a world who are, you know, making up their ethics, making up their values, particularly in the West, as they go along. Whatever seems right to me, whatever seems, you know, what's, whatever seems loving to me. There's no framework, there's no God, there's no absolute. That's gone from the whole scene. And so it's almost like those of us that are thinking, loving the Lord your God with all our heart, mind, heart, mind and soul and strength, and our neighbors of ourselves, that's an alien concept. And, and the whole concept of Christian love, you know, which is cruciform, you know, the love of Jesus is, is a love that's, that's defined by the cross, by sacrifice, by serving. It's very different to the kind of love that we see in our context, which is all, it's all about me and, and, and my, you know, <laughs> who I, you know, that, that's the world we live in. It's me, 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 me. And it's, it's like we're, we're like aliens. It's like, it's like we're talking in tongues, which, of course, we are a lot of the time. But it's, it's like, you know, we are, we are in, in another, another place in terms of where we're thinking. And um, you do see a different push and pull uh, in, in, in the New Testament of like different emphases. So if you look at the, uh, John, uh, you know, the Gospels of John, the Epistles of John, the Revelation, the Apocalypse of John, there's a, there's a lot more sort of like pulling, you know, love not the world. You know, if anybody loves the world, the love of the Father's not in it. Now, he did also say God so loved the world. But I think that's the difference in John between the systems of the world and the powers of the world and the privileges of the world and the people that are in the world and the physical creation. So God so loves the people in the world. God so loves the whole of the world, the creation that he gave his only son to redeem the world. That's, that's that world. And then you've got the other world, which is the systems of this world. You know, if you, if you love the systems of this world and this framework, you know, the love of God is kind of not in you. So John is this, is, is pulling away. And, and I think if you went to John's churches, they would be a lot more, bit more separatist. You know, they'd be a bit more, 
bit more against, a bit more withdrawn, a bit more, it'd be a bit Anabaptist or a bit whatever, you know, they'd just be like, they'd be like that. But then you've got the sort of Paul emphasis, and Paul's, yeah, pretty strong on when Jesus came, he destroyed the powers, you know, the, the powers of this age, the principalities and powers, the sp- you know the spiritual powers the powers that come when jesus came on the cross you know part of that was was you know disarming the powers so there is a bit of opposition there but then also paul's all about you know praying for authorities and praying for governments and all of this and his churches are very much you know you've got a church in nero's household you've got church the churches in corinth that were much more in the world in the culture so so there's exile but there's some's more involved and some's more separate you see that tension and kind of we're in both and when you look at Jesus you see a bit of both don't you you see you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world in Matthew 5 you you see that you are the yeast that works its way all the way through the dough you know you're not you're not out of this thing you're in this thing and there's something about that when the yeast of the kingdom, the yeast of the gospel goes in the world, it, it, you can't stop it. It will go all the way through. The, 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 and nothing, nobody can do anything about that. Once it's in there, it's through. Yes, at the same time, you've got this thing of like, well, they hated the prophets, so don't be surprised when they hate you. Because they hated me, they hated the prophets. So when, when people like re- reject you or treat you like you're some kind of Martian, or whatever, don't worry about it, that's the way it's been, because there is this oil and water thing. So we're living in this tension of exile. And so how do we respond to this? You know, some spiritualities, you know, well, we're going to be a bunch of survivalists and dig a, you know, dig a thing, and, you know, we're all going to gather on Bogner Beach waiting for Jesus to come back on whatever day it is, that kind of mentality which I don't think you really see a lot of in the New Testament. I think there is, there is quite an anticipation of, you know, that, that prayer of the early church, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. There is that cry, you know, and, and Margaret and I sat in bed more than one occasion when you've read the news and you've done all this, and we're just saying, come Lord Jesus, if only you would come now, the sooner the better, please, looking at the state of what we've got, you know, please come. But how do, we live, how do we live our life with that prayer where we're, we're not putting our citizenship on earth, where suddenly it's a crisis if we don't have the things, you know, all the things that we talk about that are crisis in the papers. And they're not really that much of a crisis at one level for us because, you know, if I died now, I'd be going to be with the Lord, which is probably a much better place. Well, not probably. It's a, it's a better place to be. You know, there's something better that's coming. That's hope. We live in accordance with the hope that's before us. And so, although Jeremiah was saying, well, look, you know, these other well, are false prophets. They're telling you that, that it's all going to be over and all going to be good right now. Well, then it's going to be 70 years. They're, they, they're, they're in big trouble because they've not prophesied what God is saying. But, but he said, look, when you seek me, when you find me, when the p- period is perfect, I will come to you and I will fulfill every single promise that I have made to you as a people. And that is the sure promise of God. So we're living knowing that God is going to completely and utterly fulfill all of his promises over us and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. But in the meantime, we don't sit there with our feet up thinking, well, that's good. We're going to live like we're in a tent. 
you know, and we're just going to, we're going to forget about the community that's around us and forget about this. And we're going to have a very temporal approach because what the prophet says is you need to start building houses and you need to start planting gardens and, and eating the fruit of that garden. And, and I think part of the word for you as a church is I think you're going in a season from where, 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 where there's a lot of tent-like things and you're moving into a season where there's going to be a few things that are a bit more like houses. <laughs> yeah, there are things that, that may be, what, what is, what's the difference between a, a tent and a house? Well, you know, tents can be quite temporary, can't they? And they're a little bit more mobile. You know, houses, well, you could sell a house and move another house. You could always have 10 houses. But, you know, there's a bit of permanence. There's a bit more long term when you're building a house. You know, in order to build a, you know, putting a tent up and building a house is a bit different, isn't it? You can put a tent up in five minutes, depending on how good you are. <laughs> the first time it might not be five minutes. But putting a tent up is fairly easy. Building a house involves a little bit more thought and a little bit more skill and a bit more permanent. There's a lot of, a lot of upsides to a house, isn't there, over a tent. And so I think in this next season, that as a community, you're going to be, and as individuals, it, it, you know, how, how do we view our family, our friendships, our work, our church, our community? You know, a lot of our society is very broken, isn't it? It's very mobile, and friendships are quite fickle and quite utilitarian, and people are moving all over the place. People lack roots. People lack belonging. And I think the, the challenge is, you know, move from tents to, to something that's more, more like a house, more like a building. And we're modeling that to the society around, that our family commitments... And even if we don't have family, we've got broken family, we now have the family of God. So we're building something here that's, that has substance to it. Uh, but it, its substance and its permanence comes from our commitment and our engagement with it. Um, you know, uh, the tents are quite low investment, aren't they? Houses are quite low, uh, high investment. You know, we're, 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 you know we're, we're, if you need a, you know, a, a new bit for your tent, that's cheaper than if you need a new roof. I'm looking at the roof at our house and thinking, oh dear, <laughs> there's a few leaks. You know, when I, when I asked, I got a quote for it, it's like, <laughs> you know, but it's not the end of the world. It's a, you know, it's a 1930s house. It's got to need a new roof at some stage or another, but it's high investment. And, and in order to, to really see that develop, it's, it's, it's high identification, isn't it? You know, to, to, to build a house or live in a house, you kind of, you identify, you belong to that, you, you connect with that house. I remember when we moved from our, our last house, which I loved and I thought we were going to be there forever, into the place that we are now, which was really a ridiculous prophetic fulfillment. I used to, uh, and, and you know, it's like when you drive home. I used to drive home late, in, late at night from bookings like this, and you'd, you'd go to the old house, you know, because you were on, and then you find yourself outside it. And I used to have dreams that were, you know, they were really quite bad dreams that I'd ended up somehow back in the old house and not in the new house that I should be in, you know, because I had this sense that the new house was what the Lord, I mean, the anxiety dreams, I probably needed a bit of therapy. But, um, but you know, but it was an interesting thing on that, that change uh, and that journey. And so something of my identity had been invested in moving into the new place, which was prophetic fulfillment. 
And so I want to encourage you as a church to, to, to move from whatever it means for you individually and as a community to go from the tent to the house uh, and go from the sort of low investment, sort of temporary investment to something that's more permanent. And it was a bit like, you know, when I picked, picked up the staff there, um, it was a bit like, well, you know, I can turn up and just be me, you know, but if I, if I pick that thing up and walk in, it's, it's, it's all out there, isn't it? It's all out there. You know, when I go and buy coffee at Costa's and I've got that, it's all out there. I don't carry it all the time. But, you know, when you, it's, it's all out there. It's making a statement. And you do get comments like, have you been promoted or have you this? But you get, like, the, you get, the, you get the curiosity side of it. But you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're say, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm fully investing in the identity and the call that God has for me. And, 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 and there's no hiding. It's just, it's just 100%. And um, I'll come back to that. And the whole idea of planting the garden, it, it, that's another thing, isn't it? Because you, when you're not just uh, you know, getting, getting your stuff you know, from the you know, spiritual Tesco's, you're just going in and taking it. But if you're starting with the seed and, and, and the soil, and then you're planting it in the soil, and then you're overseeing it, and then you're seeing it grow, and then you're eating of the fruit of it, and then you're replanting it, you, you're in the whole process, aren't you? When you belong to a church and you're just, it's just like Tesco's, you pop it in and, you know, whatever, wherever you like to go. Um, it, you know, it's just like going in and taking it off the shelf. That's a bit different. But when you are actually planting a garden, when you as an individual with your gift and ministry and all of your resources and your family and your time and your cash and your gifts, you, you are together planting a garden and that garden that you're planting is going to be the very thing that's going to feed you <laughs> and everybody else. But in order for that to happen, as we all know, you've got to be full on with it, haven't you? You've got to be committed to that thing through the seasons, year by year, to see that garden grow and see that thing develop. You know, I've got a 30-acre fishing lake. It's taken me and my business partner 10 years to get the fishing stock to where it is, to plant thousands of reeds, to, to, to build a car parks, to build fishing spots, to plant trees, to chop some trees down, to do all the things it's taken 10 to it, and it's just beginning to get there. And maybe this year we'll take some income out of it. Um, he says somewhat optimistically, no, we will. So where does that leave us here? So I think what I'm wanting to say to you is, is this from tense to houses and I, and I think many of you probably all of you here compared with most churches you are probably all pretty involved in some way or another in serving what's going on and you're very active and I think that's brilliant I would just encourage some of you uh, maybe you need to move from a, a temporary role to something that feels a bit more scarily permanent you know I, I've sat with Charles and, and um, the team at times and they're saying We'd really love to have people that, some people that would like step in and say, yeah, I'd like to be a leader. I'd like to be an elder. I'd like to take these roles. But, but they're great. We've got so many great people, but one or two, and there's no criticism of anybody, and I don't know who you are if you've been asked and said no, and you probably were very right when you said no. But, but do you know what? Sooner or later, somebody's got to say, all right, I'll do it. I'm an idiot, but I'll do it. You know, somebody thinks I could do it, so I'm going to do it. And, and I think it is that 
Right, okay. Because I've worked with one or two churches, not this one, uh, where, they, where they've struggled with this thing. You've got what, maybe a person or, or perhaps a couple of people that will take the mandate, uh, uh, you know. Uh, and it's not just about eldership leadership, but it can also be other areas of leadership in the church where people will step in and do things for a season, but because they haven't really, they haven't really grasped the staff, you know, after about three or six months, oh, I'm a bit busy, and oh, I'm a bit this, and a bit that. And, uh, you know, uh, and then they go. But, th- but then that lack of, you know, at the 24-7 conference, they're saying, you know, we don't want platforms, we want pillars. You know, and churches, a church needs pillars. This church needs pillars. People that are saying, right, we got hold of this thing, and we're going to see it through. And, and I know that you've probably got a higher number of people than that than many churches, your size. But, but my challenge would be, let's, in our commitment, begin to lay hold of some of these some of these roles let's all look at what does it mean for me to be a pillar something that's more consistent something that has that dimension to it of moving from tent to house which i think is what we what we need isn't it it's what is what is what churches need it's what communities need you know, families need it. Friendships need it. And sometimes we're, we're, we're you know, we go through seasons, don't we? We're, we're, but, but somebody needs to be standing and, and groups of people need to be standing together and saying, do you know what? In this season, in this exile, in this place, we're committed to see proximity move from, uh, to, to take the land, to cultivate the land, to and to prosper in the land and to grow in the land that is our commitment and then as we seek God and we pray to God he is committed to our prospering and to our development and to our growth and I think that is the promise of the Lord and so as you look um you know I think Charles did have a minor kind of a new year message and it kind of is a bit like that isn't it really and, and, you know, we sung earlier, we're waiting for the Lord, you know. We're not waiting for Charles to come back from maternity leave. We're waiting for the Lord, you know, uh, as, a, as a community. And so we're looking up for each other. We're caring for each other. But, you know, this vision, this mandate for the future, this stepping into a new space um, where there is this from tents to houses, stepping into the place which someone will look, look after. You know, whatever you do, don't lessen in number, only grow. Uh, you know, that's another message. And then the last one is, well, you're blessing for the, the blessing of those around you, which you're, you're on. You've been praying for that this morning. I think these are, these are the messages which go alongside that one of nurturing the presence of the Spirit. Because how is the church built in Paul's thinking? It is through the gifts and ministries of the Spirit, isn't it? The activity of the Spirit in and through us is what builds the church. And that church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's built on the team. It's built on the elders. It's built on the deacons, the wider teams, wider servants. It's built on people like you and I who have said, okay, uh, we're not just going to, flop in and out and give the odd word and cook the odd bo- uh, cook the odd soup evening we're actually gonna grab this thing and, and we're up for being a pillar upon which the future could be built okay why don't we stand together
It's a really exciting season, I think, for, for you as a church. And, um, you know, you're a, you're a great place to be. You're a great family to be part of. Um, you know, what you've got here is far too good to be kept a secret, you know, and, and it, it's far too precious to be enshrined purely in tent material. It should be carved in something that has a, a greater deal of resilience and purpose and that's more able to withstand the seasons uh, and a bit more sophisticated in certain areas. That's where God's leading you. So let's open our hearts. I'm going to pray, and I might invite um, some people to respond. But the response isn't the, isn't the thing, and the thing is the thing, what we've been hearing. Lord, we open our hearts to you. I thank you for this precious community. I thank you for everybody who's here. I pray for some of them that may be new to the church, new to the faith. Lord, what you're really saying to them is... Give your all to me, and then I can prosper you. I can get a hold of you. I can develop your life. So there's the challenge. For others, and even for those people that are new, there is also the challenge, Lord, of, of we want to step into you. We want to lay hold of you. We want to be those that are willing to follow, to take up our cross, to go where you have been, and, and, and to see your kingdom come and your will be done through the work of proximity here.